Matthew chapter 11 and Luke chapter 7. We're going to take a look this morning at, at a man that is described in the scriptures as being one who there is not a greater and uh, that's what, what was said, what God said, about John the Baptist. He said there was no greater man who was born of woman than John the Baptist. Let's all stand together, if you would. Matthew chapter 11, if your neighbor does not have a Bible, allow them to look on with you. Chapter 11 and verse, verses uh, 7 through 11, it says in verse 7, and as they parted, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind, but what went ye out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Now turn with me over to Luke chapter 7. And in Luke 7, look down verse 28. 728, for I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, we pray that as we take a look this morning at the life of John the Baptist, that you'd help us to see uh, why is it that you made the comment that there was no person born of woman who was greater than he was. What was it that made him great? We've got fixed in our minds sometimes some things that we think cause greatness in people. And uh, most of the time, uh, those things are wrong. They're erroneous because it's not what we think, but it's what you think that counts. And so, Father, we pray that you'd straighten out our thoughts a little bit this morning and help us to just to see what, what kind of attitudes and what kind of actions accompany the life of John the Baptist that caused him and caused you to say of him that there was no man born of woman who was greater than John the Baptist. We pray your blessings upon this time. Speak to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen, you may be seated. The name John means God is gracious, or it means a, a, gift, of, a gift of God. And John, John the Baptist was certainly a gift. Uh, both Zacharias and Elizabeth uh, were excited about the fact that she was with child, and uh, if you, as you read the story, and it, she was confronted by an angel and, and told who the child would be and so forth. Uh, there, it's just a, it, it's a, it's a wonderful story of how that God gave a, a man and a woman uh, a special gift of a child. Uh, in his childhood, the Bible says that uh, 
uh, he, it says that he grew and waxed strong in spirit, according to Luke 1.80. That's all said about his childhood. But he evidently was a good child. He was a godly child. And his appearance was a little different. He, he uh, wore camel's hair uh, clothing and uh, camel's hair coat. He ate locusts and wild honey. I'm sorry, you're going to have to forgive me for a minute. But, but uh, you know, I see John the Baptist walking down, <laughs> in my mind's eye, I see him walking down the River Jordan uh, with a camel's hair coat with a sticky teeth and little, little locust legs uh, poking out from his mouth. Uh, I'm, again, I'm sorry. That's just, yeah, I was a youth pastor for 13 years. That's the reason why I think that way. I still haven't gotten all of that out. But uh, his ministry was not very long. His ministry w was less than a year. And yet his ministry was so important because he was the one who prepared the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. He was, if you were to look at it in uh, evangelist terms, he was the Lord Jesus Christ's advanced man. He, got, he came ahead and got things ready for Jesus Christ to come on the scene. Um, his doctrine was really pointed toward Christ. It was really two things. It was, it was pointed toward it was pointed toward repentance, and it was pointed toward receiving Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Go with me to John chapter 1, if you would. John chapter 1. And in John 1, look in verses uh, 15 and 30 with me. Verse 15 says, John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This is, was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now, that's kind of a, that's kind of a, a strange sentence. And the reason why is that John was born before Jesus was born. But yet he said he was before me. What was he referring to? He's referring to the fact that he's God and that he's eternal and that he's always been. Uh, look down in verse 30. This is he of whom I said, after me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. Well, there he's even more pointed. He's saying the reason why he's preferred ahead of me was because he was ahead of me. We're talking about an eternal person, a person who, who, uh, who uh, has, is, is God in the flesh. Uh, look in John chapter 1, look down in verse 34. It makes it even plainer here where he says, And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. He points clearly to his deity. And then if you back up a little bit to verse 29, it says that the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He pointed to him and said, This is the Savior. This is the one you've been waiting for. This is the one that the, the Jews have, have uh, had all kinds of types and all kinds of pictures uh, previously for. When he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, they knew exactly what he was talking about. Because every year they sacrificed the Passover lamb. 
And uh, the Passover lamb was looking backwards uh, to their deliverance from Egypt, but it was look also looking forward and looking forward to the one that would come and would die for the sins of all Israel. And the truth of the matter is, he would die for the sins of the whole world. He was and is our sacrificial lamb. Uh, and all this is important, and all this is good, but boy, that one statement where it says that there was no man born of woman greater than John the Baptist is, uh, is, is one that makes us stop and, and say, okay, so what is it that made him so great? There have, been, there have been a lot of great people prior to him. We know that. We've got a whole Bible, that's a whole Old Testament that's full of them. And yet, when it pointed to John the Baptist, it said, there's no man who's born of woman that was greater than him. And I, I just want to look at just two things, two simple things. And this is really not a complicated message at all. But... Uh, Two things that really stand out about John the Baptist that I believe really caused him to get that title of greatness. And the first thing that, that you notice about John the Baptist is that he, he took a stand against sin. He took a stand against sin. I mean, he was, he was hard on sin. Um, he had a, a one-word message. <laughs> And his one-word message was, repent. I do not understand the, the modern-day Christians who say that repentance has nothing to do with salvation. I don't understand that. I'm sorry. Uh, you look all the way through Scripture, and re it's repentance, 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 repentance. Uh, there has to be an attitude of sorrow over our sin. There has to be a realization of where our sin is taking us. Uh, you know, one of, the, one of the first things I look for in a gospel tract, and I looked for it in this one, and it's got it, the one I showed you earlier, uh, is, is uh, it needs to proclaim that we are sinners and we have sinned against a holy God. And then secondly, that because of our sin, we deserve not just separation from God, now, I, I realize that when, you're, when you, a person dies and goes to hell, uh, they, they, you know, they, have, they don't have that, that relationship with God at all. It's not even possible. There is no mercy in hell. None. Zero. Uh, but I don't like that, that terminology because an average, average lost person looks at that and says, well, I'm separated from God. I never liked him in the first place. That doesn't bother me. Well, how about hell? How about hell? How about a place where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, and that's exactly what you deserve for your sin? When, when you get those two things together, okay, you understand you're a sinner and you understand what you deserve for your sin, and you agree to it, that causes an attitude of repentance because you realize where your sin is taking you. And you, re you realize what the, what the wages of sin is. The wages of sin is death. Um, he was very clear and very, very plain. He said, repent. And then, then uh, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 3. Go to Matthew 3 with me. He was tough 
on the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You say, who are they? Well, the Pharisees and Sadducees were the religious guys, uh, religious crowd of the day. And they were hypocrites. And they were asking people to do things that they weren't willing to do themselves. And uh, they, were, they were corrupt. And they were just a mess. And in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 3, look down in verse 7. It says, but when he, speaking of John, uh, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Uh, he, made it, he made it real plain and he made it real clear what he thought of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He was righteously angered with them because they were sending people to hell with their religion. Uh, over the last, oh, I don't know, 15 plus years, there's been a lot of, a lot of uh, things in the news about, about corrupt, uh, immoral uh, religious people. And in particular, there's been a lot of it in the Catholic Church. Uh, you say, that's a terrible thing. It is a terrible thing. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I believe one of the reasons why three Catholic churches here in Auburn are closing their doors is because they're part of the Rochester Diocese, and the Rochester Diocese is broke. It's bankrupt. And uh, they, can't, they can't float all the churches that are here, so they have to close some doors. Well, the reason why they're broke is because of all the lawsuits, because of all the immorality that was perpetuated upon, upon the people uh, over the years. And you say, that, that's terrible. I agree with you. It is awful. But can I tell you something? It's not as terrible as what anybody does when they tell someone that the only way you can go to heaven is by believing on God and then being a good person. Believing on God, uh, take the sacraments. Believe on God, say confession. Believe on God, get baptized. That is absolutely wicked because they're sending people to hell. And, and he got upset about that. That's why he called them vipers. Uh, that's why he was not, he was, he, he did not mince words with any of them. And uh, because he realized just how despicable they were. But he was willing to stand up. Now, again, remember who these people were. These were the prestigious people of his day. <laughs> These just weren't a bunch of also-rans running around, you know, with, with little picket signs saying the end of the world is near. It's not that kind of people at all. They were finely dressed. They were, they were taken care of. Uh, they were very, very influential people. And yet he was willing to, to stand up and, and call them what they were. Uh, he went to Herod, who was the king. And he named Herod sin. He, he, he said this, he says, it is not lawful for thee to, to have her. And when he said her, he was referring to his brother's, his brother's wife, Herod's brother's wife. Uh, he was, he was living, living in, in, a, in an adulterous relationship. And, and honestly, I'm sure when John the Baptist came, came around, folks got a little uncomfortable. I don't, I don't think that he was a face that uh, King Herod really wanted to see in his court. 
Uh, I don't think that he was a face that the Pharisees and the Sadducees really wanted to see. Uh, but, I, but I'll tell you the truth. Honestly, I think if he was probably in, 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 in Auburn today, I think he'd probably make some of us a little nervous too. Because he was vocal about sin. Now, again, I don't think he was, he was ungracious about it. Uh, I believe that he was proper about it. I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about, you know, just being, being crass with people. But he called sin, sin. And he, he, did, not, he did not put up with any of it. Um, you know, um, have you ever, you ever been around small children that uh, are brought up in a Christian home? I've had it happen in, in, uh, in my home, and I don't remember the exact instances. But there were times, and I, I, come, from, I come personally from a, from a lost home. My mom wasn't saved. My dad wasn't saved as far as I know. And uh, so when my kids went and visited, they would see things in the home, and they would make comment on it. You know, they, they'd go up to Grandpa, and they'd say, Grandpa, why do you smoke? Don't you know that's going to kill you? That kind of thing. I don't remember the exact things that were said, but but uh, uh, you know my my <laughs> my I, we go to my brother's uh, we go to my brother's house uh, for a social gathering or a family get together, and you know honestly, lost the lost crowd doesn't doesn't even think twice about pushing their sin on us. They don't. They don't think twice about it. My brother used to always offer my kids a beer. <laughs> always. I mean, from about five years old on up. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not so sure he would have given it to them. But he was, just, he was just doing this. Well, my kids, you know, as tactful as they are, just like their father, used to say things like, why would I want that rock gut? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, kids, in their innocence, are very honest about sin. Well, the truth of the matter is, uh, we need to be honest about sin, and we need to take a stand against sin. Christians ought to hate that which is evil. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Psalms. Psalm 97. And I pose the question to you this morning, what's your stand, what's your stand on sin? And you say, well, sin, I'm against it. Uh, okay, well, that's good. Um, does it come out in your day-to-day -day conversation? Does it come out in your day-to-day -day behavior? It did with John. And John did not mince words. And he was very, very pointed about what he, what he believed about sin. Uh, Psalm 97, look down in verse 10. It says, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. Uh, he preserveth the souls of his saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. Can I tell you? You can't love the Lord and not hate evil. The more you love God, the more you're going to hate that which is sinful. The more you're going to hate that which is evil. Go to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs 18. 
Proverbs chapter 18, look with me down in verse 13. Proverbs 18, 13. He that answereth a matter, uh, is that what I want? Nope, that's not what I want. Okay, I, I lost it. I must have put down the wrong verse. But the, the, the point is this. The point is, God expects us, if we're going to love God, we're going to have to also love, or we're going to have to also hate evil. We're going to have to love that which is right and hate that which is wrong. Um, Christians should stand against things that are sinful. And, and other people ought to to know where we stand. Now, again, I'm not talking to you about being crass or being always in people's faces. That's not the point. A person ought to know, the people that you associate with, ought to know where you stand. And if you really do hate sin, it'll show up. And if you don't hate sin, it will show up as well. You know, the, you know the, 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 the Bible talks about the sin in the book of Hebrews, it talks about sin which doth so easily beset us. And I believe those sins are different with each individual. But can I tell you this, that something I know about every one of us who has besetting sins, you know what our problem is? We don't hate it yet. We don't hate it yet. And if we hated it, if we despised it, then it wouldn't be as big of a problem to us as it is. In order to love the right things, you've also got to hate that which is sin. So the first thing is, is he, he took a stand about sin. And it's, it's obvious. I mean, his, his life was marked by that. But then secondly, he not only took a stand against sin, but he also took a stand for his Savior. Go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and look with me again in verse uh, 29. John chapter 1 and verse 29. It says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Now, this is the same man that over and over and over again told people to repent. Now he's pointing to Jesus as he's coming down the banks of the Jordan and says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He pointed people to the Savior. He pointed people to the Lamb of God. He said that he was the Messiah. He was the one who was going to take away the sins of the world. And uh, you, you say, well, yeah, well, of course he did that because he was the forerunner and that's what he was supposed to do. Well, can I tell you something, folks? We're the afterrunners. <laughs> he was the forerunner. We're the afterrunners. And just as he pointed to, to Jesus and said, he's the one who's going to take away the sin of the world, we need to do likewise and let other people know about salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ that's available to all. That is our job. People at our, at our, at our work ought to know where we stand about the Savior. People uh, who are in our family ought to know where we stand about the Savior. And again, not just religion and not just what church we go to. 
You know, sometimes, sometimes what, I, what I've noticed is that safe people think that if they've invited somebody to church, they've witnessed to them. Can I tell you, that's not witnessing. <laughs> that's inviting them to church, and I'm not against it, okay, obviously. Uh, if you can get them here so they can get the gospel, that's fine. But God has told us to do much more than that. We're supposed to point others to the Savior. We, we should obviously do it through our lives, but we should also obviously do it through our voices and by the things that we say to them. And we need to be an active witness for Jesus Christ. That was his job. He took a stand against sin, and he took a stand for the Savior. Go with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. In John 3, look down in verse, look down in verse 29. John 3, 29. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. You, you, you see what he said? Speaking of Jesus Christ, he's saying, my joy is fulfilled because of the Savior. His joy was fulfilled or complete in Jesus Christ. Uh, when we rejoice about something, uh, how does it come out? Do we rejoice about things? Do we rejoice about people? Do we rejoice about our own accomplishments? Or do we rejoice in knowing that God gave us the power, gave us the opportunity, gave us the privilege of, of seeing things accomplished. Our joy ought to be totally wrapped up into Jesus Christ. Um, I don't understand, and I'll be real honest with you, I do not understand Christians who never open their mouths and give a testimony to how good God has been to them. Uh, you know, we're, uh, and, and I'm not picking on anybody. I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I want you to think about this. We're going to be having a, a, praise and, uh, a praise and pie night. And invariably, every year, there are some people that just refuse to say anything. Why? I don't get it. I don't get it. Uh, does Jesus Christ mean something to you? Uh, is your joy wrapped up in him? Or is your joy really wrapped up in people and accomplishments and things? Well, our joy ought to be in the Lord. You know, if your joy is in the Lord, you've always got it. Because you don't always have things. You don't always have people. You don't always have good circumstances. But bless God, your God said he'd never leave you. He'd never forsake you. And if he never leave you and never forsake you, you know what you've got? If your joy is wrapped up in him, you've got joy all the time. You know, uh, we've got, we've got some, some ladies, that uh, three of them that I can think of, that... Uh, are going right now through some, some struggles. Two of them are our ladies, one's one of our missionaries. And uh, Mrs. Whitaker uh, just had an operation this week. She's been in a lot of pain. But I know Mrs. Whitaker. 
I know Debbie Whitaker. And even in her pain, she's got joy. Um, Karen Corey was taken to the hospital this week. Pray for Karen. She's really struggling with some things, so some physical things. And uh, uh, probably watching this broadcast right now. Um, but, but pray for her. But when, you know something I know about Karen? Even when she's going through the, because I've talked to her. I, I've gone up to her and said, how you doing today? And she's honest with me. And she smiles and she'll say something along the lines of, well, uh, you know, struggling on the outside, but happy on the inside or something along those lines. You can tell that, yeah, okay, she's going through some difficulty, but there's joy there. Uh, there's not a time when I have texted or had a conversation with Mrs. Shipman that she hasn't brought up how good God is. And, there, and the rest of you, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are shaking your head. She's always that way. Why? Because their joy is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. That ought to be every single one of us. I mean, where would you be today if it wasn't for your Savior? I know where I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be in church, number one. I certainly wouldn't be preaching, number two. Uh, God has done some wonderful things for us. And our joy needs to be wrapped up into the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. If the mouth's not speaking it, there's something wrong down here. And if, if you're saved, it doesn't need to be. If you're not saved, you need to trust Christ as Savior. But if you're saved, you've got Christ in your heart. I mean, he is your Savior. He is your God. And, and John, his joy was wrapped up in his Savior, and people could see it. And then, then the last thing, uh, go to John 3 and look in verse 30. You're already in John 3. Go to verse 30. Simple, a simple little verse. Uh, not very long, but man, it speaks volumes. It says, he must increase, but I must decrease. Now, part of that was he was speaking about the fact that he was the forerunner. He came along, the spotlight was on him. And he, he was talking about the fact that the Savior was coming, the Savior's coming, the Savior's coming. And then one day on Jordan's banks, he didn't say the Savior's coming. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now the Savior is come. <laughs> he is here. Well, you know, that was positionally where he was in history. He was the forerunner. And then he was announcing the fact that Christ was coming. Once Christ came, then he started to back out of the spotlight. But I believe it's more than that. I believe he's talking about just the way he looked at life. To, to John, Jesus had to get greater and greater and greater in his life, and he had to get lesser and lesser and lesser in his life. Uh, he, need to, he needed to be humble before his God. Uh, he, he decided he was going to make 
much of the Savior and very little about himself. Because why? Because it wasn't about him. It was about Jesus Christ. And he said, he must increase and I must decrease. Somebody, somebody gives you a compliment. What do you do with it? What do you do with it? You take it and get embarrassed and, and get red in the face or, or say, well, thank you very much. You know, that's fine. But what about giving God some credit? What about giving God some glory? Uh, this morning, I went up to Mr. Breyer, as I do often, and I, I said, uh, Mr. Breyer, how are you doing this morning? I knew what he was going to say before he said it. And he, every time he says it, he means it. You know what he said? He says, I'm good because of him. What is that? That's he must increase and I must decrease. I'm nothing. He's everything. People need to see that in us. And people need to, 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 to see that Jesus Christ means the world to us. Who is, who is the predominant person in your life? You know, you look at, you look at uh, folks that have not yet trusted Christ as Savior. Why is it that, that some folks are still, even after they've been witnessed to, and, and understand the plan of salvation, understand that they're sinners on their way to hell, and that the only way they can go to heaven is by coming to Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, died for their sin, paid for their sin in full, was, uh, was uh, crucified, buried, and then rose again the third day. They need to trust him and him alone, and if they just call out to him and believe on him and trust him, that he'll save them in a moment's notice. Why is it that folks that know those things, because they've been witnessed to, still don't trust Christ as Savior? I think it's twofold. Number one, they don't take sin seriously. They don't take sin seriously. And you know, the thing about John the Baptist, he took sin seriously. Sin was not, not something to joke about. You know, the Bible says fools make a mock of sin. You can usually tell what your attitude is towards sin as to what you laugh about. You laugh about things that are sinful, and you're not taking sin seriously. Um, they don't think, and, and I, I've had... I've had Person after person after person. Uh, you, you, you say, are you a sinner? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm a sinner. Do you believe that because of your sin, you deserve to die and go to hell and burn forever? No, I don't think that. I don't think that. You know why they say that? Because they're not taking sin seriously. To God, sin is serious. It's serious. It's not something you play with. You know, uh, the Bible tells us, flee youthful lust. Why? Because you can't handle it and it'll devour you. It'll eat you alive. We need to take sin seriously. And the reason why people don't trust Christ as Savior is that, number one, they don't take sin seriously. And number two, they don't take the Savior seriously. And oftentimes, what the problem is there is pride. Pride is the issue. They think too much of themselves. And, and, and John, John put it 
so well when he said, he must increase and I must decrease. Now, you know, the second, the second scenario is why, why don't saved people totally commit themselves to their Savior? If you're, if you're saved here this morning, uh, you know Christ is, as your personal Savior. Y your sins are forgiven and you're on your way to heaven. Praise the Lord. It had nothing to do with you. It had everything to do with Jesus Christ because he's, he's the one who died on the cross, was buried and rose again the third day. He forgave you of all your sin. Why don't people who are saved commit completely to the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, one of the, one of the basically the theme of, of uh, the missions conference this year was give me your heart. Why? Because if you got your heart, you got, you got, you got a total commitment. You're saying, listen, uh, uh, my heart is in your hands. I'm, I, 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 I love, you, you go through the book of Psalms and over and over and over again, it talks about loving, loving God and serving God with a whole heart. What's that whole heart business? That's total commitment. You know what? Our Savior is worthy of that. Amen? Don't, don't you agree? I don't think there's anybody in here that would disagree with that. He's worthy of that. So why don't saved people totally commit to him? Number one, Again, they don't take sin seriously. You say, well, I know sin is bad. Do you hate it? Do you hate it? And do people know where you stand on sin? And then secondly, they don't take the Savior seriously. Apostle Paul said this. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we quote that. As, as, as a verse, because that, that means that Christ is important to us. But it, not, he didn't just say, Christ is important to me. He said, for me to live is Christ. In other words, what he's saying is, my whole life is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And, you know, that's, pot, that's, that's the kind of attitude that every single one of us ought to have. And it doesn't make any difference what your vocation is. It doesn't make any difference what your placement in life is. The truth of the matter is, our life ought to be in Jesus Christ. Who do you live for? Who do you brag about? Uh, who, do you, who do you talk to the most? Uh, I thought, I thought uh, uh, when was it, Tuesday night, I believe? Tuesday night's uh, message, uh, Dr. Vogelin preached on prayer. Man, that was one of the best messages on prayer I have ever heard. And I've heard a lot of them. That was good. And you know, you know what really it boiled down to? Just spend time talking to God, whether you feel like it or not. Uh, he desires our fellowship. We ought to have that same desire to talk to him. Who do you spend the most time with uh, throughout the day? Who do you spend the most money on? You know, for me to live is Christ. Uh, we need to take the Savior seriously. The thing that, made, thing that made John the Baptist great was, number one, he took a stand against sin. Sin to him was serious business. He didn't play with it personally, and he tried to steer other people away from it. His whole message really was, first off, repent. And then the second message was, uh, uh, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. But it started with a stand on sin. And then secondly, 
he not only took a stand against something, which we need to do, but he took a stand for some, something and someone, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads, heads bowed and eyes closed. No one looking around. I want to ask you just a couple of questions. First of all, do you know for sure if you die today that you go to heaven? Are you absolutely positive of heaven today? Has there come a time in your life where you realize you're a sinner on your way to hell? The only way you could go to heaven is by trusting Christ, calling out to him for mercy. You know that your sins are forgiven, not because of you, but because you've believed on him. And if you know that for sure, I wonder if you'd just raise your hand as a testimony to that. Just lift it up and say, Pastor, here's my hand. I know for sure I'm saved. All right, thank you. Put your hands down. It appears as though just pretty much everybody here has trusted Christ as Savior. That's a blessing. Let me ask you this. God speak to your heart about something? How's your stand on sin? And first of all, how's your stand on sin in your own personal life? You know, we can spout off about it to other people, but if we're playing with it in our own lives, there's something wrong. And then secondly, how's your stand for the Savior? Can you say, and really all of us ought to be able to say this, for me to live is Christ. Christ. There ought to be nothing else or anyone else that ought to fit that fill in the blank. Maybe this morning God's been speaking to your heart about something. And just by an uplifted hand, you'd say, Pastor, uh, there's an issue in my life, or maybe there's several of them. God's pointed it out to me. Pray for me. Anyone like that here this morning? Thank you. I see that hand. I see that one, that one, that one, and that one. All right, hands all over. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for folks that are receptive to the Word of God. I'm thankful for a God who speaks to hearts. And uh, it is good to know every time I come up behind this pulpit that I'm not speaking my opinions and I'm not speaking what I think. I'm saying, thus saith the Lord, and it's always, always true. And Lord, I'm thankful that, that your word never returns void. And there's some folks that have, you've spoken to this morning. I pray that you work in their hearts. Give them some answers. Give them some things that they need to do. Help them, Lord, even this morning to make some commitments to you. May you start off with a real simple commitment about sin. It might start out with a real simple commitment about speaking up for the Savior. But Father, I pray that you'd work on all of our hearts this morning and help us to see that the, thing, the two things need to be in our lives and the people need to know us for is that we take a stand against that which is wrong and we take a stand for our Savior. Bless this invitation. Have your will. Have your way. Give folks answers in their personal life and help them to have victory through Jesus Christ. For it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.